This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, whether that's Rovers throwing in a drab nil-nil in the Championship or taking Newcastle all the way to a penalty shootout in the fifth round of the FA Cup, You'll always be winning with McDelivery. So, the only thing left to say is, are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get rewards points delivered too. So, the ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants 18+. plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Okay, you're deep in the jungle, hanging with a friendly jaguar. Or how about in outer space playing the bass? Let your imagination run wild with the new generative AI tools in Adobe Photoshop. Create anything you can dream up just by typing a text prompt. Treehouse in your jungle? Unicorn in your spaceship? Just type it. This changes everything. Hit the banner or go to Photoshop.com and try it for free. Hi, I'm Matt Janssen, and you're listening to the BRFCS Podcast. The New York Rovers would like to welcome you to the BRFCS.com Podcast, covering the 2019-2020 Blackburn Rovers Championship campaign, hosted by Ian Herbert and joined by some very special guests. Don't forget to check out the forum here at brfcs.com to continue the discussion. We've got a very special guest on the uh, BRFCS podcast tonight. It's uh, well, we've had managers, we've had players, we've had backroom staff, we've had fans, we've had all sorts of people on the podcast, but we've never looked at football from the perspective of a referee before. And tonight we're going to put that right because we've got with us uh, a former referee, a Rovers fan, and uh, someone who frequents the BRFCS message message board quite a lot as well. So he ticks all our boxes. A very warm welcome to Tony Leake. Tony, how are you this evening? I'm fine, thanks, Ian. How are you? Uh, super, yes. Looking forward to this, I have to say. Uh, I think there's a it's one thing about refereeing is it tends to evoke an awful lot of strong opinions. So <laughs> it'd be interesting to hear the opinions of an actual referee. And you can tell us, uh, us fans, where we're going wrong when we criticise you all the time. So well, let's take you right back then to, to boyhood, Tony. What, what's your earliest memories of football and what first hooked you into the game? Um, I think, well, my, my first memory is um, going to watch Rovers, actually, in 1963 with my dad. And uh, I couldn't remember much about the game. And only recently I looked it up. And uh, it was a game where we beat Tottenham 3-1. Fred Pickering scored a hat-trick. And all I remember is it was a really cold, I think it was November time. Yeah. And at that time, the kids were allowed to, to stand over the perimeter wall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And me and some other kids who I met made a slide behind the goal, and that was that was my memory from it. <laughs> and, uh, but I was kind of indoctrinated, along with the rest of my family, into Rovers uh, from that time. And I remember going into town not long after, and my mum bought me uh, a Rovers kit, and it was the old blue and white half one with a blue and white collar, which was halved as well. 
And uh, I can remember we lived up Shadsworth at the time, and I can remember going up to Shadsworth School in the evening and playing football and feeling absolutely fantastic with this Rovers kit on. Marvellous. It's, it's, it's still my favourite kit, I think. I, I started watching in the late 60s. Uh, so it, we, we'd move to the round neck version then rather than the V neck version that was worn in the 1960 Cup final, but it's still my favourite kit to this day. Yeah, oh, it was, but it was, it was like the, the real heavy cotton. Yeah, all right till it rained. Used to chafe everywhere, but it was fantastic, you know. And the socks, I'm, I'm convinced the socks were made of Hessian. Um, <laughs> they used to make itch all over, but it was, it was my pride and joy that kit. And it, it's a kit that I've, I've often wanted Rovers to go back to, just the basic blue and white half yeah. kit. Well, maybe one day. Uh, I think the trend yeah. for retro is, is coming back in, so we keep our fingers crossed. So, so that was that was you playing. How, well, sorry, that was you getting your first kit. But how much playing did you actually do as as a youngster? Well, I played. I played for school. I went to. We moved to Darwin when I was about six or seven. Uh, I've been here ever since. I played for the school team along with a couple of guys who actually are regular contributors on the RFCS. Oh, okay. And then I went to St Mary's College and. Uh, I started playing football there. Uh, I, I decided to go in goal because I didn't think I'd get a game outfit. Yeah. And lo and behold, I got in the first the first 11 uh, as a goalkeeper. And uh, I stayed there in goal for a few years and then I kind of wanted to play out again. So uh, I, I ended up playing fullback. Uh, and then I just trans got into uh, the local leagues, um, played for uh, what was in Darwin, which was, which was quite a good team. I wasn't very good, to be honest, but I always played with good players, and that's a secret. I think there's a few professionals have built their careers on that, actually, to be perfectly honest. So, but, but I really enjoyed it. I was, I was as keen as mustard. I was the first there, first for training, uh, and, and I really enjoyed it. And, it. and it was just, you know, and it was kind of every aspect of football I used to look into. So and this is, I guess, where the refereeing came in. So if we'd go to the Rovers, I would buy a programme and I'd always make a point of reading at that time they used to have a biography of the referee yeah. on, in the program, yeah. where he was from hobbies and things like that and, and I, I kind of mentally made a note of the names uh, for, for not not expecting that I would go into it at any time and um, when I played as well I was I was a real mourner I used to mourn at the referee for 90 minutes and I'm sure they detested <laughs> refereeing uh, me but I always made a point in of after the game, I would always go and shake hands with him and thank him and just have a couple of minutes chatting to him. Yeah. Uh, just, you know, just get some kind of insight into, into you know, the man uh, who was just refereeing a game of football. Uh-huh. So I, I had kind of a, an interest in it then. And I always intended that when I finished playing that I would perhaps have a go at refereeing and, and kind of put something back because... It's one of them, Ian, that, uh, and I'm sure you'll agree with me, that when you watch a referee, everybody thinks they can do better. Oh, yes. Everybody. And, and, and I used to, uh, absolutely no doubt about it, I would watch the referee, and if I think he's made a mistake, I, would, I wouldn't have made that mistake. I'd have sent him off. I'd have given a penalty. I'd, whatever. In reality, it's not like that at all. Um, so so how, how did that initial interest in referees turn into something more serious? And um, to what extent was it at the extent of your playing career? It was 1983 and I was still playing. I was playing Saturdays and Sundays and uh, I was involved in a car accident which resulted in a fractured femur, uh, which pretty much put an end to my footballing days. Right. Interestingly, the, the physio at Blackburn Royal Infirmary at the time was Steve Foster who later became the Rovers physio. Yeah, I remember. Um, and I got to know Steve quite well and, and Steve kind of nursed me through and helped me through. But he, he was pretty much saying from the first time he saw me that, you know, you'll really struggle to play again. The options had kind of run out by then. If I wanted to stay involved actively in football, the options had kind of narrowed down to refereeing. Right. And, um, and I just, um, I, I spoke to, I was, the team I'd played for, I'd, I'd go down and watch them and maybe run the line or whatever. A guy who I knew was, uh, he, he was quite, uh, it was quite well in the well up in the local referees association one day, and I just mentioned to him one Saturday afternoon, "How do I go about starting refereeing?" And he said, "Come to Guide Con Club on Monday night. We have uh, instructions in laws of the game, uh, and we'll go from there." And within two or three weeks, I'd got myself a kit, I'd got everything I needed, and I'd refereed the first game. So, how much of it? How much do you remember of your first game? 
Well, I can remember quite a lot actually, uh, because it was it was quite a big day. Uh, the game was between Horton Reserves and Shadsworth Centre, and it was played. If you know Horton at all, where the football pitch used to be, I think they built houses on it since. It was pretty much a, a ploughed field. Yeah, I, I can remember being in the changing room, and you used because when you play, you're in with a group of guys. And there's a bit of banter and a bit of fun going on. And there's some kind of nervous tension around as well. Yeah. But you can bounce off other people. That day, I was on my own. And um, so the managers come in with team sheets. I, I hadn't got a clue what to say to them. What, and I'd been involved in football for quite a while. And all of a sudden, I'm on my own. I've got nobody that I can kind of lean on for support. But I got through it. It, it, was, it was okay. I, I remember a couple of... Uh, blatant mistakes I made, uh, which you would expect from somebody refereeing the first game of football. But I knew I knew quite a few of the players as well. who knew it was the first game, and I'm sure they took it easy on me. So uh, and I enjoyed it. And it was just then I thought, yeah, I, I can do this. I'll, I'll, I'm going to enjoy this, and um, as long as my legs will will get me around the pitch, yeah. I can carry on doing it. So, what sort of age would you be at this point? You start off as what you call a probationary referee. And you just referee local local leagues. So mine was Blackman Combination. Yeah. And uh, then you you know from being a probation, you, you get promoted to Class Three. That's an exam. And then you go you get promoted to Class Two, which is another exam. Uh, but they only held all them every year. So you know that's you've got two years experience when you become a Class Two. Yeah. But the next promotion is based on assessments. So that's when you really got to step up to the mark because um, you know um, people watching. Yeah, exactly. And he's watching your every move and he's, he's, he's giving a technical and detailed report on your performance. And so the marks of, of the assessors count towards a promotion and, and with suitable marks that would get you through to your class one. Right. So do you, do you get to see those reports then? Is there some kind of feedback process? Yeah, you get you get a, a, a copy of the assessments. Yeah. I don't know what they're like now, but they used to be quite detailed. There was probably about six or seven sections on. So one was the application of law, one was fitness, one was uh, Play dealing with players. Like that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that, all, all that kind of stuff. You know, yeah. the kind of category. They were all separate categories. And uh, then you would get an overall mark on your performance. You know, referees live or die by. Yeah. So when did you first think, do you know what? I'm quite good at this. There might be something in it. I didn't really set off with any ambition. And as I said, I just wanted to to kind of stay involved in football actively. And uh, so I used to go to the meetings and uh, and I'd listen to the more experienced guys and used to feed off what they were saying. And I'd go watch. So I'd go watch a, a, a game at Rovers with a completely different perspective. Right. Because I was also watching the referee, mannerisms, positioning, you know, dealing with players, all that kind of stuff. Um, so it, it, it kind of opened my eyes a little bit to, to you know, give me a new dimension on watching football. Yeah. Um, but I didn't really I didn't really set off with with kind of ambition. There was no at that time. There was nobody in this area who, who would like progress to the top who was a football league referee. So I didn't really know. You've not got a role model as such. Yeah, exactly. There yeah. was nobody, you know. And so what? What you used to? What they used to do is it was probably mid eighties. They started appointing fourth officials to games. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what? The, it just used to be a local referee um, because my availability was good. I used to get quite a few appointments down at the Rovers, and you you had nothing to do apart from standing the tunnel. And my only in probably in probably ten fourth official games at Rovers, the only involvement I had was giving a flag to a linesman who broke his. <laughs> and you, in law, you'd no power. You didn't do the substitutions at that time. You didn't even check but the studs. <laughs> nothing at all. You didn't do anything. Right. Um, but it was such a valuable experience because I worked with some of the top referees in the country and just listening to them, being in the company, watching them at close hand, seeing how they deal with situations and managers and volatile players. And it was about that time that I thought I'd really like to push on and see how far I can get in this. Yeah, I kind of stood still for a few years, and, and got, if I'm being honest, I got a touch frustrated by it. So, did did you have to be appointed to the next level, or did you have to apply? How how do you go from one league to the next league? It's a bit like when you, if if you were a good footballer as a kid, 
and you played a good team and then you move up another level and you move up another level and you go into a better league all the time. Right. It's not dissimilar to that, but you have to be invited on. So your right. marks have to be good enough. So at that time, there was no emails at that time. So you get a, I got a, a letter Brown to say I've been uh, yes. appointed uh, on to a feeder league, which was a Blackburn combination of Premier League, uh, Premier league of the Blackburn combination. That was called a feeder league, which fed into a supply league. The supply league for me was the Northern Premier League. Right. So I went, I went as a linesman on the Northern Premier League for a few seasons. And then I got an interview for a referee's position on the Northern. So I, I got on there in 1990. So I'd been, I'd been seven years before I got to that kind of semi-pro level. But that was when I really started learning about football. Okay. More about refereeing than football. But going into a semi-pro world, where you've got the likes of South Liverpool and Marine and Barrow and some really, really tough teams. That was, you know, the chasm was was huge. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I kind of adapted to it because uh, what I'd learned over the years was you have to try and impose yourself on to the players and first impressions a lot of the time. So I, I, I kind of adopted a cheery demeanour. Try and be try and be quite laid back about it. Obviously, the very nature of the job doesn't allow you to be laid back all the time. Yeah. But when I could be, have a smile, have a joke, um, and and it kind of worked for me. And from that first season on the Northern Premier League, I was I got promoted every season then, which went up to 1995 when I got promoted to the Football League. So was that as a linesman initially, or was that straight in as a referee? So when I got on the Northern Premier League as a referee. I did a season as a referee, and then I got promoted onto the football league line. After a couple of seasons on the football league line, I got on. That's the line in perspective. From a referee in perspective, you then, if you're good enough, you move on to the Vauxhall Conference, which is that's uh, the that's the next step yeah, below. Down. Yeah, yeah, and that that's when it gets really tough. That's when the competition gets fierce because you're competing with guys from all over the country uh, for for just a few vacancies every uh-huh. year on the football league. But I got promoted onto the football league, two years, and I got—I was lucky enough. I got promoted onto the Premier League line, which was a fantastic experience. And then after uh, a year on the Premier League line, I got promoted to the uh, FIFA line, oh, which really? meant uh, kind of trips abroad, you know, representing the FA. I mean, yeah. it wasn't the champ. Uh, yeah, the Champions League had just come in actually because Ro- it was the season that Rovers were um, in the Champions League. Yeah, we don't talk about that. Sorry. <laughs> No. Apart from my uh, new yes. UEFA Cup, World Cup qualifiers. So I did I did a season as a, as a FIFA linesman as well. And I, uh, I think I had seven or eight trips abroad in tour. What's your, what's your favourite place that you've been? Uh, well, I went to some kind of obscure places, if that's the right description. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first trip I went to was to Tbilisi. Okay. Uh, and that was, uh, that was a, a remarkable place itself, you know, the ground, the, the surroundings and everything. I could, I've got some pictures in the loft. We walked on the pitch before the game, and the guy's marking the pitch out. This is a this is a, so this is your way for qualifier, yeah. your way for book qualifier. The guy's marking the pitch out with a paintbrush. <laughs> and uh, uh, King Clancy played for um, Tbilisi at that time, and I'm and I'm sure, although I didn't keep any any uh, any programs of the teams he trained, but I thought that Zurab was playing as well. But I might have dreamt that one. I went to Romania. Uh-huh. That was another experience. Uh, Sweden, Italy, Portugal, Ukraine, Luxembourg. Yeah, so I was looking in a short space of time that I got to all them different countries. And at that time, were you uh, uh, you were still holding down a day job, or had refereeing become a profession at that point? No, it wasn't. It it only kept kind of turned professional for 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 referees in this country in the year two thousand. Right. So I was. I was uh, working at the time. So you had a lot of unpaid leave, presumably. Well, they, they were very good with me, Ian, because uh, I'd been there quite a while, yeah. and um, uh, my boss was a football nut. He was a Blackpool fan, and uh, so I'd, I'd managed to get tickets for him whenever I could. <laughs> um, but the, I think the company were quite happy for it to, to, to happen because I think they saw it as kind of a, a feather in their cap as well. Did you have to do any um, presentations or talks as a, as a quid well, pro quo? When, well, when visitors come on site, 
they'd kind of worm, worm right the way around to my office <laughs> and they'd introduce me. And, and if they had an interest in football, then yeah. you know, it, it just kind of went from there. So, um, yeah, I think they saw it as a, like a double-edged sword. Bit of PR um, for them. Yeah, I, I think so. Yeah, and they were very good. As I said, I used to take holidays. So I used to save holidays all up. And, yeah. Excellent. That, that's that's, that's like really amazing stuff. So when you're actually in a game, how do you get a sense that it's going well? Because you could be getting a load of grief from the crowd, but you could be making a series of really, really good decisions that are just unpopular. How, how do you, where do you get feedback from? Probably from yourself, actually. I think I, I always, I always used to use as, as kind of a gauge the, uh, for example, if I gave a penalty and I, uh, several players ran towards me and, and kind of dissented me and disagreed. It used to make me think, maybe I've got that wrong. But if nobody complained, invariably, yeah. you've got it right. So, you know, with experience, you kind of you kind of feed off things like that. You know, the reaction, player reaction, manager yeah. reaction. Towards the end, lots of managers had instant video playback. Yeah. So, you know, anything contentious happened. And, and if, if the manager stood out, outside his technical area screaming at you, you think, well, you might have got that one wrong because he's in the playback. <laughs> Pointing at the screen and shouting and screaming. Yeah, yeah. yeah that kind of thing. So, um, uh, yeah, but you can't dwell on it. I mean, if you, if, if you feel you've made a mistake, you know, and that's where, that's where experience comes in. I think as, as an inexperienced referee, you would do it. It could rattle you. Yeah. You know, if the crowd is screaming, the players are screaming. It could certainly affect your performance. So many times did, did, do you go in at half-time and one of your linesmen says, do you know what? I think you might have dropped one there. Or did they not dare? <laughs> it very rarely happens. Even if they think it, they wouldn't say it. Oh, that's interesting. Um, right. Yeah. Uh, after the game, kind of, perhaps? Um, after the game, the assessor might. The assessor would probably come in and, and, and say what he would do. He, had an, he would have an opportunity to review the, the DVD after yeah. Uh, so he could look at the incident. Uh, but he, he, all he would say to me is, I'm going to have to have a look at that on video. So that just kind of rings alarm right. bells. That <laughs> from his position in the stand, yeah, it looked completely different than my position at ground level. Even now, uh, although I get frustrated and shout, I can accept that referees make mistakes. I can accept that players make mistakes. You, know, you get stick for making mistakes. But ultimately, you're a human being, and human yeah. beings make mistakes. That's the thing that sticks in my craw, must admit, when uh, managers, and I have to say, a former favourite of mine is probably one of the worst protagonists for that, and that's Mark Hughes, would, would be interviewed after the game. And, of course, nothing was ever the fault of him or his coaching staff or his players. Invariably, the, the blame was always laid at the door of the referee. And he's sort of thinking, well, it wouldn't have mattered if your centre-forward had stuck away two of the chances that he's had. And if you want to pick that donkey of a centre-half, then he wouldn't have conceded the goals either. But, of course, it, it's just a soft target. I think Mourinho and certainly uh, Sir Alex uh, fall into that category as well. What, what, who's the, the most famous, shall we say, manager that you ever had a run-in with? As a Football League referee, uh, um, and I'd, I'd lots of I'd probably ten or eleven years experience. You used to do uh, fourth official on Premier League games, yeah. And uh, one particular game at Newcastle, it was against Fulham, and uh, Sooners was in charge at Newcastle, and he, he was a feisty character <laughs> in the dugout. <laughs> I can and, imagine. Um, Howard Webb was the referee. Who, who, we were really close, me and Howard. We came through together. Yeah. And um, Howard missed a foul on the halfway line. Now, at that time, a fourth official couldn't get involved apart from acts of uh, violent conduct or mistaken identity. So I couldn't say to him, I would use a foul, though. You've got to give it. Yeah. I couldn't do that. The linesman's missed it. I couldn't help. There's a clear foul on Shearer. Yeah. Uh, Fulham break and score. And it's a clear foul. And I know it's a foul. And Sooners is out of the dugout <laughs> and he's, he's rattling my cage and, and he's screaming and shouting and I'm trying to calm him down thinking... This is mission impossible. So then, lo and behold, he booted a Lucasade bottle, which ended up about 20 yards on the field. So I got Howard over and I said, look, if we don't put him in the stand now, we'll do it later. He was that way out soonest. He was angry and, you know, he put him in the stand and uh, I think he got fined 40 grand, I think. Really? I I always wonder about being a fourth official. It's, It's just, you've got... You're basically just a punch bag, I think, for the managers. And as you say, now that they've got video screens and they can they can have a go, and I just wonder to what extent the psychology of it 
plays a part. So did you ever feel that when you were a fourth fourth official that the managers were trying to sort of lay down a marker and say, like, you owe us one? No, not, not really. I mean, I think uh, although you were a sounding board for managers, uh, deep down they understood that, you know, you can't do anything about it. Yeah. He's my, my colleague out there and I'm part of a team with, with the, the referee alignsman. But I can't influence or affect anything that goes on on the pitch, and I and I found my job. I felt my job was to kind of protect the referee from 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 that as well. So you take the brunt of it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. and and I was I was I was not happy to because it's not nice. But I'd, I'd kind of you know talk back to them and try and explain and and you know and generally I think you know it's like a, a, a burr with a thorn in its paw. You know, once that comes out, <laughs> the decent guys, you know, you know, take the emotion away. Sam yeah. Allardyce was, was, was hard work. But you do, I can remember being on one game at, at Bolton against West Ham and it was a real relegation battle. It was Easter Saturday, but either of the teams could have gone down. West Ham actually did and Bolton stayed up. And Uriah Rennie was the ref. Uh-huh. Uh, and I'm looking in uh, and, and I'm thinking, that's a penalty. That's a penalty for Bolton. He doesn't give it. Play goes on for a couple of minutes. And Sam used to sit in the stand for the first half. Yeah. Which was great. Which was great. Hands of orange way. But I, I'm stood at the edge of the technical area and all of a sudden I just I saw this shadow cast over me. And it was Sam behind. And I looked round and the steam coming out of his ears. And I thought, I know it's a penalty now because he wouldn't have come down from the stand otherwise. So <laughs> what, how do I deal with that? What do I say to him? Sorry, it's not a penalty. You know, so I've, I've just got them to try and manage it the very best I can yeah. to keep him away from the linesman, from the referee. Yeah. And I'm just saying, Sam, you're going to get yourself in trouble. And, and just kind of, you know, generally they accept that. That initial emotion that they feel and that anger that comes through. And they probably say things that they don't mean. That's why I would never, ever re- overreact to something that's said to them. Invariably, they just say it because they're emotional. And I've had loads of managers come up to me and apologise for what they've said. And they genuinely didn't mean it. Yeah, um, it's the heat of the moment, isn't it? It's a visceral reaction. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, it's, you know and, I, and I get it. I, under- I understood all that. And it was same with players to a degree. You know, I mean, you know, players could... That's why, you know... Quite often, I, I used to go around to local referee societies and, and talk to when I got on the football. And one of the questions would always be about, you know, why do you not caution players for dissent and foul language and, and send players off for foul language? And I used to say, well, you know, you've got to try and manage situations. You know, you, you can't overreact to every situation. Otherwise, you would end up with 10 yellows and four reds every game. And you'd be the only ref that's doing it as well. So you get that old argument about consistency, I guess. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so I think there's a fine balance. Mm-hmm. Uh, and sometimes you don't get the balance right. When, you, when you're out in the middle then and, and you're refereeing, how much of the game do you take in? To what extent do you think, oh, this is a good game or this is a bad game? I, all the time. I, I was, it was intense. Um, and, and my concentration for 90 minutes was really intense. And, and I didn't work on that. It just kind of came naturally. Uh, that was my focus for ninety minutes, and uh, so you can appreciate I, the skills on view. Oh, absolutely! The, the the best game I ever refereed from a football point of view was Crew Alexandra against Fulham, and mm. Dario Gradi was in charge at, at Crew, yeah, and Jean Tigana oh, yeah. was in charge at Fulham, and Fulham were absolutely exceptional. They had John Collins, they had Boa Morty, they had Louis Taha. Coleman played at the back. Melville they did an absolute top-rate team, and they just got it on the deck and played it. And I can remember think and crew were the same, although they didn't have the big names at full yeah. but they played the right way. And I'm I can remember thinking during that game, Ian, that wow, I'm getting paid to do this. I'm getting paid to be here to enjoy this game of football. And and it was it was it was a really good a really nice occasion. Uh, for me to be involved in and it just made me appreciate that some of the fine things of football yeah let's fl- let's flip it around the other way now because the, the obvious question then to ask is when, when it all goes wrong uh, <laughs> what's the worst game that you've had to officiate if you speak to i don't I know so much about players but if you speak to referees players are probably the same and maybe some managers there was always one club or one player or one manager that you could never seem to do anything right for. Yeah. 
And my nemesis was a guy called Ronnie Moore. Oh, yes. Uh, ex Tranmere player. Um, Rotherham United. And yeah. Rotherham United. And, mm. and uh, so this, this uh, particular day, it was, I think it was 1998. <clears throat> it was early October. And I got this appointment to go and referee Shrewsbury Town against Rotherham United. There was nothing. Sometimes you get your, your fixtures. You've got them uh, 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 three weeks in advance and you've got them for the following month. So you look at your fixtures and maybe sometimes someone jump out at you and think, oh, I'll have, I'll have to be I'll have, you'll have to be on my guard there. Yeah. But this one didn't because the season before I'd refereed the very same game. It was a nil-nil draw, no yellow cards. So this appointment came through. Didn't ring any alarm bell. But uh, at five o'clock that night, I knew I'd been in a game. Uh, <laughs> it, was, it was an experience that I will never forget. Um it started off in the first minute, and uh, Bobby Mims was in goal for Rotherham, bless him. Okay. And a cross, a cross comes in about about knee height. Bobby comes out diving for it, and a big uh, a big guy called Devon White. Oh yes. Who played for Shrewsbury? Well, he played for a few clubs. It was Cambridge, Shrewsbury. I remember him playing for. Yeah. Yeah. yeah he's a huge fella, but he was such a nice man, the gentle giant. Yeah. Bobby Mims ended up smashing into his knee. Ooh. And Bobby Mims is out cold with what transpired to be uh, a fractured jaw, a cheek one, I can't remember. So right. this is the first minute. <laughs> so Bobby Mims is out. So I get the, the medics on and, and uh, they're giving him oxygen on the pitch. And this is right in front of where the Rotherham fans were at the old gay meadow. Ronnie Moore comes on and says to me, what are you going to do about that? I said, I'm not going to do anything, Ronnie, because for me, it's an accident. He said, he's done him. Look at him. He's done him. And I, and I just thought to myself, and this is going to be a tough afternoon. Yeah. And the Rotherham players were fine. Rotherham players didn't hold any grudges against Devon White. They saw it the same as me. Yeah. Within about 15 minutes, I've sent two players off <laughs> um, for, for having a bit of a scrap. I didn't see it. The linesman saw it. That gets me over two players off. Just before half time, I send the Rotherham captain off. <laughs> Uh, and then we get into the second half and I send off the guy who the no substitute goalkeeper so I can't remember the guy's name who went in goal ended up sending him off but then it became a real battle then because I'm convinced that Rotherham players were trying to get themselves sent off deliberately to get down below the minimum number so I'd have to abandon the game I'm, I'm absolutely convinced to this day nobody will convince me any different <laughs> And I didn't, I honestly, Ian, did not want to be the first referee in this country in a game. And I did my absolute utmost and turned a blind eye to things <laughs> that I should have cautioned and sent off. It's, it's, it's as simple as that. I didn't do my job on the day. Fantastic. Um, when did you next come across Ronnie Moore then? Or was that the last time that in a professional capacity that your paths crossed? No, I, no, I had more run-ins with him. Um, so th- this, this game, it was... The, the, at that time, the, 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 the referee coaches were called coordinators. Yeah. And a guy had come from Bristol, who I had a really good relationship with. But it was a tough afternoon for him as well, because he had to report on my performance. And he knew why I didn't, but he had to report that I was wrong for not doing it. Right. Uh, and I accepted that, because I knew. I had a good chat with him. After. But after the game, uh, the police wouldn't let me off the pitch until they, they was, they'd, become a, they, they'd made the, the uh, tunnel area sterile. <laughs> um, I had to have a police escort out of Shrewsbury but during the game the Rotherham fans were obviously intense yeah. um, one of them climbed over the fence and tried to get at me so the stewards bless him tried to stop him and it resulted in this big free for all and a steward broke his arm uh, there were several arrests and as a result of all this the police wouldn't let the, the will anybody see the DVD because it was wanted uh, in the, this prosecution case. It's evidence. <laughs> so I didn't see any incident, and, there, and uh, the 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 coordinator who was at the game, Ron Rose. Yeah, there was. He said there were eleven major incidents in the game. Now you would be lucky to <laughs> or unlucky to get one in a game, and I've got eleven in this game. Did you, did they give you a couple of weeks off afterwards, or were you straight back in? Well, now we're straight back in, back on the bike. <laughs> then, towards the summer, we, there used to be a, a, a referees conference, an annual conference, yeah. and Ron was doing a presentation, and he thought it would be good for his presentation to just be about this one game. 
there were that many incidents. So he rang, to be fair, he rang you yeah. and said, will you come and present it with me? Now, bear in mind, I hadn't seen these incidents since I'd seen them live on the day. Yeah. So I'm seeing 11 incidents in front of 500 people at this conference. Your peer group, yeah. Know, so some of the yeah, some of the top officials in the country, some <laughs> some of the you know the, the the top people from the football league, from the Premier League. I'm seeing these incidents for the first time, apart from seeing them live on the day. Fantastic. And the first incident with with uh, with uh, Bobby Mims. When I saw it again, I breathed a sigh of relief because I was right. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, I had to hold my hands up in front of everybody and say, I on the day, I probably let every referee in this country down because I didn't do my job. Yeah. Yeah, um, understandable uh, mitig- yeah, there's mitigation, yeah, yeah, I think, but, at, uh, at play. But there's a real irony in all uh, because I've got a really close friend, Eddie Wilson, on who yeah. was a referee like me. I don't know if you've, you've heard of Eddie. I know the name, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. We're still, we're still best pals to this day. Uh, a few years later, he became the first referee to abandon a game in the Battle of Bramall Lane when he sent off... Oh, the off West Brom Sheffield United, United, United Yeah, 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 I was going to, yeah. So that, there's a real irony in that, that we're best pals. <laughs> I didn't do it, and he did. So no officials from East Lancashire are ever allowed again <laughs> to go and no, referee no. at Sheffield United no, but, or, or Gay Meadow, yeah. Fantastic. Well, in the season, I got a, an, a, and I was dreading, when, when the envelope used to come through and do the appointments, for months after, I was dreading opening it and seeing my name against Rotherham United. <laughs> it was probably the February time. They gave me Rotherham again at Macclesfield. And I sent saying? the captain, Mornington. <laughs> so... Ronnie Moore, bless him. We're going in, at, I can't remember, it was half-time or full-time, and he waited for me. And I thought he was going to cry. He's a big, tough guy. And I thought he, he said, and he's saying to me, is it personal? <laughs> and I'm saying, it's not, Ronnie. It's genuinely not. That wasn't the end of Rotherham United. Well, Ronnie Moore, I think it was early the season after. The refereeing system is just, so you get your appointments. And uh, sometimes you don't get a game every week. But you leave that you. You, you, you can get a game. Yeah. So my plan, if I didn't have a game this Saturday, my plan would be, right, I'm going to watch Rovers, but you're kind of on call. Yeah. So I haven't got a game this particular Saturday. I'm at work Friday, the phone goes, and my boss at the Football League says, I've got a game for you tomorrow. Okay, yeah, no problem, Jim. Where do you want me to go? Hull City. Who are they playing? Rotherham. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> I, could really, I could really do without this. The guy who should have been refereeing it was a guy called Steve Baines, who was an ex-professional. And Steve used to, because he was an ex-professional, he used to let the players get away with murder. And players loved him because of it. Yeah. So, and because it was a late appointment, hardly anybody knew I was the referee until I got to the ground. So <laughs> Ronnie moved when he saw me, his face dropped. Clearly all the Rotherham players who remember me well. Uh, so it's going to be a tough afternoon for me. So... Uh, just before half time, they had a, a big centre half on loan from um, Leicester. A, a smashing lad, but he was a big, tough guy. He gets involved in an incident with a whole player and lashes out at him and kicks him. So, this is just before half time. I've got no option but to send him off. And I'm thinking, it's happening again. It's, it's, like, it's like a nightmare. <laughs> so, red card, off this fella goes. We've got a few minutes to play in the second half. In the first half, blow the whistle. Yeah. Ronnie's having a bit of go at me going off. At the old booth report, you walk down the short tunnel and the referee's changing room is r- the first door that you come to. So as we walk to, to the dressing room, I can see there's a wooden panel on the front of the door yeah. and I can see this smashed in. And I open the dressing room door and it's like a murder scene. There's blood all o- on, on every wall in the, in the referee's changing room. And I'm thinking, what's happened here? One of the Hull City officials came and said, the guy who had sent off decided to punch the referee's dressing room door. <laughs> Unbeknown to him, there's a plate glass behind this piece of wood. Oh, And no. he's, seven, he's seven an artery. Oh, my word. He was called Guy Branson, the centre half. Branson then realises what he's done. There's blood pumping out all over, as you can imagine. Yeah. He goes back to the Rotherham changing room, not knowing what to do. By the time the players get in a few minutes later, he's lost that much blood that they've got to get the paramedics in. Nice quiet day at the office then, Tony. Oh, it was it was Ronnie again. 
The second half passed pretty much without incident, I'm glad to say. Uh, but this, as daft as it sounds, and, and I got on real well with Guy Branson, as daft as it sounds, it kind of took the pressure off me. Yeah, the, the focus of attention was elsewhere. As someone's bleeding to death in the tunnel, yeah. Um, at, the, at the end of the game, so we've got all this paper. The press wanted to know what had happened. They are knocking on the door. We've got loads of paperwork to do because yeah. of this. And so it was probably about half an hour after the game's finished. And I just get, I decide I'm going to have a shower. And just as I'm about to get in the shower, there's a knock on the door. And normally what they do is the, the apprentices used to have to clean the referee's changing room. Yeah. So they'd always be anxious for you to get away as quick as you could. Yeah. So I just shouted, come in. And this guy come in, he had jeans on and a T-shirt, this guy. And I said, if you give me five minutes, mate, I'll get changed, I'll get showered, changed, and I'll go and you can clean it up. He said, no, he said, um, I'm Guy Branston's agent. What can I do for you? He said, I don't want you to report that incident because he's on loan from Leicester right. and he wants to get a move to Leicester and it's not going to look good for him. I said, well, even if I don't report it, I said, it's going to be in all the Sunday papers tomorrow. <laughs> and there was still blood around the walls. Um, so from all that, and, and this is this is kind of the, the sting in the tail, really. Uh, I got a call. I'd, I'd actually retired from refereeing. And a guy, a reporter for Five Live, who was a Rotherham fan, and he was writing a book. And it was um, it was about Ronnie Moore's time at Rotherham. Yeah. Uh, I've, I've got. I've actually got the book. I got a copy of. It. Yeah. And there's a whole chapter dedicated to me, and <laughs> the Shrewsbury game, the Macclesfield game, and the whole game. Fantastic. Uh, and to be fair, the, the, when, when I read it, I thought there might there might have been a bit of journalistic license in it. But he quoted word for word what I said. Yeah. And he also got the feedback from the players, and and the players were were, were quite nice about it. Even Guy Branson. The guy who had sent off and who severed an artery, he, he was actually full of praise for me. So, um, so it all worked out well. But I never really come across Ronnie again after that, thankfully. P- possibly just as well. So, when, when you when you're refing, to what ex- to what extent do you hear stuff from the crowd? And what's the funniest thing that you've ever heard from the terraces? A bigger crowd, you don't tend to hear the yeah. personal yeah. much, and, uh, because you know, invariably it's noise. Yeah, yeah. Um, the, you know, the, the, you know, the, the like the League Two crowd. Um, you uh, you tend to hear pretty much everything that's said from there. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't really, I don't really have, have too many recollections of, of kind of humorous things said to me because most just, of the just time, the nasty vitriolic stuff. It's <laughs> anger, yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I remember Macclesfield coming off once at half time, and I'd sent Effie uh, uh, Sodji off. You know the guy who used to wear the headband. Yeah, yeah. I'd sent him off. They were playing Walsall in a cup game, and they were getting beat. They got beat six 0 I forget what half time score. And I saw this guy who I assume was in his fifties coming round to to the tunnel at Macclesfield, and I thought he's coming to give me some steak. Fair enough, I can take that, no problem. And as I looked up, he spat right in my face, and that was probably the worst thing that ever happened to me, referee. That this that this fella spat in my face, and and I just I just thought to myself, how can that much that fella have yeah. so much hatred and vitriol? Towards me, he doesn't know me. Yeah, and the, the police arrested the fella, and he got done, and everything. But it, it, it was kind of, that was, and I've got a lot of experience by then. But it yeah. was kind of really unnerving that. No, um, that's, I can imagine that that's uh, well far, far from a pleasant thing. So the way that the game's gone since you retired, um, I've got to ask you this question: VAR for or against? Uh, I don't like it myself personally. I. Um, I'm probably a bit old school in that respect, but uh, and and you know the, the guys I go to the Rovers with, my brothers, you know, uh, friends. None of us are keen on it, uh, although it doesn't really affect us at the moment. Um, no, <laughs> so, yeah, um, but um, no, I don't like it. it it's almost re-referee, and as, and as I said to you earlier, I accept that you know uh, referees make mistakes. Yeah. I accept that players make mistakes, and I accept that managers make mistakes. And you know, we scream and we shout, but ultimately. You know, we go away and we talk about it and we just move on to the next game. I, I'm happy to accept all that. You know, that there is a, the human element, the human side to the game. It, it takes a lot of the emotion out for me. Uh, not that it's affected us at the moment, but I, I put myself in the shoes of a, of a, of a, a supporter of a Premier League team and you score a last-minute goal and you can't really celebrate like you would do normally no. because it might be chalked off because... 
you know, the, 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 the yeah. forwards' eyelashes are offside. Yeah, I, I, th- I think that's that's the element of it that uh, is worse of all. I think the goal line technology, I think, is a good thing. It's a matter of fact, yeah, and you don't want another right. another Frank Lampard situation. But I have to say, yeah. some of the decisions this season where we've seen toenails offside and well, his armpits slightly over and stuff like that. Uh, it is one of the selling points of the uh, the football league for me is as you say that we don't have it yet and we haven't got, we haven't we're not likely to get it any time soon thankfully i don't think the um, the finances w- would allow it particularly now post covid and all the rest of it but for yeah, me i think it is it is a purist thing as you said players make mistakes managers make mistakes referees make make mistakes and there's one referee that we dine out on of course as rovers fans and that's george courtney Anyhow, and if he'd have had VAR, we, we, we'd never been able to to constantly uh, look back at that performance at Crystal Palace and the penalty at yeah. Wembley, would we? Yeah, exactly. Um, so it swings and roundabouts. You win some, you um, lose some, absolutely, yeah. I, well, I, I, got, I got to know George quite well um, later on. I mean, I, I was screaming and shouting like every other Rovers fan at the time. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I got to know George quite well. Um a lovely man, and uh, he, he had a bit of a soft spot for Rovers, believe it or not. He had a, a great relationship with Don Mackay, yeah. but it was just one of them things. And I know to this day, people talk about the penalty at Palace, but I, I kind of turned that on its head and say, well, you know, the speedy penalty at Wembley. Oh, he, gave, he was, gave us a few after. Uh, he, he definitely gave us a few after. That, you know, I, I know referees will never, ever, ever, understandably ad- admit it, but you know, you do wonder... <laughs> There's an element of, oh, I owe this lot one. I always like to think so. I can't believe it for a moment, but I always like to think so. Who in the modern game, Tony, when when you're watching a game, who's the referee that stands out for you? Out of the current lot, I think Michael Oliver is probably uh, the one who stands out for me as being the best. Yeah. Um, I was just watching him earlier on, actually, and uh, he's just so calm and he's... He's still a young lad. He actually run lines for me when I was coming through. Yeah. And uh, I kind of, you know, at the time I thought, if this lad keeps his feet on the ground, yeah, going to go a long way. He was in um, charge of the Villa-Sheffield United game, wasn't he, a couple of weeks back? That's right, yeah. Where the goalkeeper yeah. uh, carried it into the net. Yeah, where he's, uh, the technology failed. I did feel sorry for him because it was one of those situations. It's almost like you read those stories about people slavishly following Satnav. And, and ignoring the best instincts. And I can't but yeah. help think that everybody saw it, but because they've become so reliant on the technology, it's got, well, it can't fail. It just can't have gone in. It looked like it, but it yeah. can't possibly have gone in. And of course... Well, that was the VAR's take on it. Because VAR, yeah. because the watch, the watch never flashed and buzzed or whatever it does, yeah. um, because that never went off. And Michael Oliver is, ab- it is in absolute control over that on the field of play. Yeah. Never went off. And he's shaking his head. I can see him now shaking his head at the yeah. time. But apparently, when they got into the changing room at half time, it flashed It went off, didn't it? Something, yeah. 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 Um, any number so, of conspiracy uh, theories about someone turned the Wi-Fi off and then turned it back on again, so it went off at, uh, at half time. I mean, it, it, to me, that, that proves the, the, the element of... Human interaction, the element, the element of human intervention makes makes sport. Uh, and, and yeah, there, there are certain things that you can do relatively easily, say goal line technology. But once it starts getting to that point, then where we've got all this technology, but you can still drop an absolute ghoulie as they did that day. Then I think it's time to have a good look. One last question, Tony, before I let you go and enjoy the rest of your evening. Uh, Mike Dean's beard, yes or no? No, I don't. I don't think. Uh, I don't think he actually suits it. I, I grew one during when we were locked down, uh, and uh, all my family were saying, "Get it shaved off," and, you know. And when I saw Mike Dean, I know, I know quite well, Mike. Yeah. Uh, we we kind of came through, through together. Um, uh, he just doesn't do him any favors at all. What? Where do you stand on Mike? He's a bit flamboyant, uh, but ultimately he's a good referee. And he gave us that penalty against Burnley when Martin Olsen went down. So um, <laughs> He gets a Christmas card from Ewood Park, for sure. Uh, yeah, anybody who gives Rovers decisions were always my favourite referees. <laughs> very much so. Listen, Tony, thank you very much for, for giving up your time. I really, really appreciate it. As I said at the outset, we've had, we've had um, Don Mackay on, we've had players on, we've had former players on, we've had backroom staff, but we've never heard from a referee before, and I think it's a really interesting perspective. And uh, next time I go to Rotherham, I will think of you and next time next time i read anything about ronnie moore i will definitely think of you as well so thank you very much for giving up your time do keep coming on and contributing to the forums as you do and you're welcome back on the pod anytime 
just before you go in, the book is called The Impossible Dream. And it's the Ronnie Moore years at Rotherham. And, and, it, and if you ever get a chance, that there's a whole chapter. The, the title of the chapter is Problems with a Leak. <laughs> did he send you a copy? Did he send you a signed copy? Or did you have to no, buy it? No, I had to buy a copy, no. That's a, that's a disgrace. The very least he could do. The very, very so. least. I think we should contact Rotherham United on your behalf and see if we can get a, a signed copy, see if they've got any contact details for him or Tranmere, one of the two. Whenever Roves have played and I've been, I've often felt like just going going to reception and saying, look, you know, I've got some history with Rotherham and, you know, the very least you owe me is a, is a match ticket. Absolutely, absolutely. So once again, Tony, thank you very very much. It's been really, really Pleasure entertaining and lovely chatting to you. And as I say, you, you're Thanks welcome back you. any time. But uh, lovely. I, I enjoy the rest of your evening. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thanks, Ian. Same to you. Thank you. Oh, well, wouldn't you know it, once again, bumped into Tony Mowbray here at, here at Brockhall. Tony, how'd you take your brew, mate? Well, basic, really. Uh, tea, quite strong, uh, two sugars, and uh, and I always drink out of my favourite mug. Oh, which uh, which one is it? Oh, yeah, it's good, and I got it from the Middlesbrough store, um, and uh, yeah, it's uh, from, yeah. Oh, no, 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 Tony, not the middle, the, the Rovers one. Oh, this one, right, yeah, you can get them personalised at... Um, at the terrace store, and of course, and as uh, manager of Rovers, I've got you can get them personalised with all the different players of your choice. Oh, which you know, which which, which players would you have then? Well, you, you obviously you've got your, your Lenahans, your Dax, um, you know, Danny Graham's, you know, proper proper professional footballers. But obviously, I've chosen my favourite, Elliot Bennett. Oh, of, of, of course. Well. Joe Rothwell's one of my favourite players. Have you, any plans to get a mug for him? He'll just have to wait his turn, I think. Yeah. But, you know, if you want to get one of these, get your hands on one. You just have to go to the uh, go to the terrace store and enter BRFCS at checkout. Oh, well, that's that's brilliant then. Thank you, Tony. Yeah, it's fine. But remember, only Tony drinks out of the Elliot Bennett mug. You'll have to get yourselves one with, I don't know, Ben Brereton on it. Oh, well, OK then. <laughs> Podcast Network. It's the 90th minute. All your mates around. You've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus. Serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.